0: Hey y'all, I'm Donna, and okay, I'm not that Donna, but I am a beautiful creepster here with my cat Zuzu, and you're listening to A Paranormal Chick's Sinister Sighting. Carrie and we are paranormal chicks,
1: sinister sightings 170.
0: And you just heard
1: Donna see a beautiful creep, sir. Okay, did she get y'all? Did you think it was me? Hey, if y'all want to be just like that, Donna, not this Donna head on over to patreon.com slash theapcpodcast. right, jumping right in. The first one is 3401 Vidal, Waco, Texas. Hello my beautiful southern queens. Greeting again from your favorite farmer. I hope this email finds you happy and healthy. As always, thank you so much for all the content and creating a place for us creepsters out there to share our experiences and learn from one another. I am truly grateful for you both. Just jump right in, shall we? 2010-ish, my little cousin Jean, who was like a sister to me, divorced at 23. She was granted full custody of their three and a half year old daughter, Casey. By 24, she met a wonderful gentleman who had just gotten out of the army, loved Casey, and wanted to marry my cousin and start a life and family together. This gentleman, Mark, was and is the old-fashioned type. He really wanted a home of their own. Mark agreed to go overseas for eight and a half months as a contractor. He figured he could work really hard for that time and make a good bit of money he could provide for his family and purchase their own home sooner rather than later. Jean agreed and decided that while Mark was gone, she wanted to be closer to my sister, Sarah, and our grandma who lived just a few streets over on Mackenzie. Jean needed help with the little one and I think she felt better going through such a rough time being closer to family. Jean drove the streets around our grandmother's home and found a two-bedroom, one-bath for rent for $600. This was something she could afford, and she was technically in walking distance from Sarah and Grandma. She called my sister, Sarah, to come take a look as Jean had already started moving in. Sarah, my sister, called me after visiting Jean and told me there's something really weird about where Jean is living. I don't like it. It gives me the creeps. She said she just felt that the energy was just off and moved on to the next topic. About four to six weeks after Jean and Casey moved into their rental home on Fidal Avenue, Casey started complaining to her mom about nightmares. She told Jean that a mean boy was in her dreams. She struggled to relate everything she saw due to her two and a half year old vocabulary, but she seemed really scared. My cousin Jean didn't take it very seriously. She did allow Casey to climb in bed with her if she was scared and sleep it off, but she just thought it was kid stuff. One morning, Jean went to wake Casey and the door to her room was closed. She tried to open it and found the huge, old, heavy dresser that she had in Casey's room had been pushed up against the door. Jean shoved hard and opened the door to Casey sitting in bed. Jean asked her how the dresser got there, and Casey said it was just like that when she woke up. This specific dresser was selected for Casey's room because my cousin was scared Casey would climb on the dresser and it may be a tipping hazard. So basically, the dresser was selected because it was so heavy and sturdy. It really seemed odd. Jean told my sister Sarah about this incident, and Sarah was like, well, your house is haunted. Jean didn't want to hear it. This changed the subject. Casey started just running from her bed through the house at night, climbing into Jean's bed when she had a scary dream, which was a good four nights a week. Jean's mom and granny were coming over to visit, and we'd be staying the night in the master bedroom while Jean was sleep in the living room and Casey in her own room. In the morning, Jean's mom and Granny told her that they swore they heard and felt Casey running through the house in the middle of the night and into their room. Granny rolled over and saw her little head peeking over the side of the bed in the dark and asked if she needed to go potty. Granny rolled back over to position herself and sit up in bed, and when she looked back to where Casey was standing, no one was there. Granny lay back down, thinking maybe she had been groggy or something, and rolled over and went back to sleep. She said that as she lay there, she thought she heard two people talking right outside the window that was next to the bed. Granny thought that maybe it was someone walking their dog or having a cigarette as they were in the neighborhood. But she said it was weird because the voices sounded like they were coming from literally right outside the window. Jean took note, filed it away, and tried not to think about it. The random experiences continued here and there, most very minor, until one night where Jean had an experience she could not deny. Jean was lying in bed right after checking on Casey and making sure she was fast asleep. Jean had been up doing laundry and late night chores before going to bed and lay down in the master bedroom on the bed to rest her eyes a moment while the last load of laundry dried. Jean was laying there and started hearing people talking. She could not determine where it was coming from, but the voices sounded like it was coming from inside her room. She laid there with a lamp on, scanning the landscape of her bedroom and saw nothing out of the ordinary. She decided to lay back down and brush it off. In the faint distance, Jean heard Casey jump out of bed and the pattering of her feet hitting the old wood floors as she ran through the house toward Jean's room. Jean lay there with her eyes closed, anticipating Casey. She heard Casey run into her room and felt her jump on the bed and crawl towards her. Jean opened her eyes, expecting to comfort a scared almost four-year-old, and there was nothing there. Jean jumped up and looked around the room and then immediately ran to Casey's room. Casey was out like a light in sleepy time baby land dreaming away. It was not Casey who Jean had just heard and felt. Jean was scared. She also noticed their rescue kitty, Joey, was not happy about this unwanted visitor. He was following something through the house like he was hunting it. The hair stood up all the way down his back and his tail was bushy and wild. He seemed pissed and kind of scared. Jean called my sister, Sarah, and told her about what happened. Sarah offered to come over and seriously do a walk through the house. Sarah walked through the house and just kind of listened and watched in silence as she moved from room to room. Her conclusion? She told Jean to fucking move and that the house was haunted and this was no dead grandma she had here. Things in the house continued. The nightmares with Casey continued. The mystery muffled voices continued to come often. Jean just blocked it out. She was broke and the rent was cheap. She started spending more time on the porch and in the front yard... The house was on a corner, so there was lots of room to play. Jean noticed a few things. One, anyone on the block that owned a home would allow their kids to play, just not on Jean's property. No one on the block ever accepted invitations to come over and hang out. One day, Jean was outside unloading groceries and ran into, for the first time, the older lady that lived across the street. Jean said hello and tried talking to the woman. The old lady just kind of sat back and stared and replied, You've stayed a lot longer than I thought you would. Most people are gone in three months. This bothered Jean, but she didn't really press the woman for info because at the end of the day, Jean didn't really want to know what was in the house. As long as she could pretend it didn't exist, then it didn't. This way of life became normal for Jean and Casey. Mark came home after 12 months abroad to join his family in the home on Fidal. He settled in pretty quickly, unpacking his clothes and started looking for a job. During the day, Jean went to work and Casey went to daycare, so Mark was alone in the home. It was not long before whatever was in that house introduced itself to Mark. Little noises here and there, the feeling of not being alone, and nightmares is how it started with Mark. He mentioned to Jean one night after she got home from work. They sat in the living room together once Casey was in bed. Mark point-blade asked Jean if she had experienced anything weird. She was honest with him cut to the chase, and recounted the odd events that she and Casey had been living with. Mark told her that when he's alone in the home during the day, working on his job hunt or cleaning up, he hears people talking what sounds like in the master bedroom. When he goes in there, the talking seems to be coming from outside the window. It was really freaking Mark out. Over the next three months, they tried not to talk about it, even as the strange occurrences continued to increase intensity and frequency. The encounters with the odd boy and just overall strange things going on was becoming more than Mark could handle. Mark and Jean decided to leave Waco and join his family in upstate New York. Mark had a job lined up and Casey would be able to enjoy his family farm where he grew up. It really seemed to be a win-win for everyone. Most of Mark and Jean's planning for the move and house hunting went on at night after Casey went to bed. They would openly talk about their plans for the future, and Mark was open with the fact he was excited to leave the house on Fidal. They had three months left on their lease, and then they were out of there. When whatever was in the house realized that Mark and Jean were moving, Things got really dark in a bad way. The nightmares intensified. The feelings of being watched was ever-present, and they continued to hear people talking in the master bedroom when no one was there. Things got interesting one night when Mark woke up to strange noise that he could not place. In the master bedroom, you could see the sink in the master bath from the bed. It was a very small house, not a lot of places to hide. When Mark looked into the bedroom, he saw someone resembling a kid standing with their back turned to him, messing with the handles on the sink. Mark watched for a few moments, and then he said he blinked and the kid was gone. Mark knew he was awake and that he legit saw what he saw. He said the feeling in the room was really off. He got up, looked around, turned on the light, and no one was there. But he then started to hear the talking outside the bedroom window. He pulled his gun, crept to the front door, and looked out the front door and saw nothing. He walked the perimeter of the house and nothing was there. He went back to bed and tried to relax and get some rest. He finally went back to sleep. Mark was woken up at 3.30 in the morning by the sound of someone running down the hallway in the house towards the master. He started to roll over to the face of the door to see if it was Casey when he felt someone jump into the bed behind him and started to try to burrow down in the covers. He turned on the bedside light with lightning speed and no one was there. He got up for the day and started packing the house that day. The week before the big move to New York, Mark and Jean had the house 99% packed up and were pretty much waiting for Mark's two brothers to get to Waco from New York to help load the U-Haul and drive them up. Jean and Casey lay down in the master bedroom to try to get some rest. It was already around 9 p.m. and Casey's bedroom had been packed up, so she was sleeping with Mark and Jean that night. As they cuddled in bed, Mark came in the room and got ready to take a shower. He turned the water on and let it heat up and took a long shower. Jean said she was sleeping hard when Mark woke her up. He tried to be as quiet as possible, but was visibly angry. He asked her why she would try to freak him out when they only had a few days left and she knew he was scared as hell about what was going on. Jean was like, what the fuck, Mark? Mark pulled her out of bed and led her into the steamed up bathroom and clearly on the mirror in huge letters read, why leave me? Mark was pissed and started to challenge Jean, when she plainly said that she had no part in this. Mark stormed off to the kitchen to get a glass of water and was back in nanoseconds. He took Jean by the hand and pulled her into the kitchen. Every single door, cabinet, lid, and appliance was open, wide open. Even those few shitty cabinets at the top that can't be reached without a ladder, practically. Open. Mark told Jean that the kitchen was not like this when he got in the shower. He stood silently, almost in awe. There was no way he could wrap his head around what just happened. Moving day was the best day ever, and they planned to never look back on the Fidal house. Once they moved out, a lot of negativity followed them to New York. Mark began to drink a lot after never really drinking at all. Jen was also extremely depressed, and Casey was acting out. More so, all three of them were having nightmares about the Fidal house. My sister Sarah recommended that all three of them needed to be baptized, especially sweet little Casey. My cousin Jean made arrangements locally to do so, and the entire family was baptized. After that day, Mark's need to drink fell way off, and... Jean was back to her old self, and Casey was no longer spiraling. Plus, the nightmare stopped. Casey's now 13 and living her best life. Jean and Mark now have a little boy together, and all is well. Happy ending for the most part. However, they will both tell you that their time in that house on Fidal affected them immensely. The experiences they had are something to this day that are very hard for them to talk about. In fact, they really don't ever talk about them. It scares them both that much to this day. Love you all and keep it spooky, Jen. Holy crap. Poor Casey. She's the one that had to deal with it the whole damn time. Right? I'm glad that Mark came back and was like, no, this is like bad not just okay no he
0: came back and was like look I don't know how you've done it this long we're getting out wow all right the next one sinister sightings and fangirl gushing hey y'all I found your podcast about a month ago and have binged nonstop to catch up you're my best friends in my head we have so much in common and if you ever make it to Eureka Springs Arkansas hit a girl up because I only live an hour away and love going there for weekend getaways It's a gorgeous town, community, and much more to it than just a spooky crescent hotel. When I joined the Facebook group, I low-key fangirled finally seeing everyone I hear in the podcast and of course seeing your beautiful faces. Now to my story. It's not much as I'm not very sensitive to the paranormal as much as I try or go to ghost tours. But low-key am glad at the same time. My son is a sensitive in the family. My story was around 2015-ish. I had a man that I started dating at the time who was very much a sensitive and had a few good spirits attached to him. One full moon night, I'm asleep, Carrie style, and I'm startled awake out of the blue, opening my eyes, but can't move my body at all. The only source of light is the moonlight coming
1: through my window. Come through my window. Okay well no it's mm-hmm. not how it goes mm-hmm. no okay it's come to not from. yeah okay yeah well you got the point yeah did we though poor melissa etheridge
0: <laughs> i see standing there in front of me a tall skinny man about six three or so he looked like he was wearing an old world war ii uniform and and he's moving his eyes looking at me and looking out the window. I still can't move, not that I would want to. He's pretty much right next to me. I don't know how long we were there staring at each other, but eventually I blink and he just disappears. Nothing like that has happened since then. I don't know if he was attached to that guy I was dating. He wasn't with me that night or if I just happened to have a passing visitor that night that showed himself to me. He possibly could have been a grandpa or an uncle I had. I don't really know, and it bugs me, so no happy ending yet. I have a couple more stories about my grandmother's spirit that I'll share later, because this will turn into a huge episode if I do now, so I'll send those another time. Thank you both so much for what you do, and I send you so much love. They didn't sign their name, so I don't want to say their name. But also, are you describing my, like, perfect guy, 6'3", tall, skinny, (laughs) and in a uniform? That was the
1: most bizarre laugh you've ever done.
0: (laughs) Are you describing my perfect guy? (laughs) Reasons why I'm single.
1: (laughs) Okay, all that, and that's what I got. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was my that was a Donna moment. That was my takeaway.
0: Yeah, wow. Well. <laughs> well, you say you're not sensitive, but uh I think you are.
1: It sounds like you're more sensitive than we are, because 'cause I've never seen nothing. Now you are. Well if I if look, if I made it through your black eyed kids saga <laughs> and I still hadn't seen nothing. <laughs> knock on wood. Oh Lord. You know, I never understood when you would do knock on wood and then you would knock on somebody's head. You never understood that? I still don't. Why? They're hard-headed. Oh, I thought it meant because they were dumb. Like, I've heard, like, oh, hollow wood. I've d- I heard people do that, and that's, like, because they're dumb. Oh, well, maybe. Maybe so, but I just thought it was, like, oh, you're hard-headed. Like, let me knock on your head. Oh, I didn't understand why their head was made of wood. <laughs> also, have you seen that Pinocchio meme that's going around right now? And it's, like, Pinocchio, like, in the gallows. And it's, like, go ahead and lie again. It's almost winter. And they're, like, chopping his nose <laughs> off to make wood. <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: I was just gonna say this coming from the girl who didn't know what a round table was. She's okay, said, do I you did. want a round table or a okay. square?
1: Okay, I did. I just didn't read the like I didn't read the <laughs> sentence. Like we want to have a round table, not like <laughs> do you want a round table? I read a, do you want you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, that's what you read. You just took it out of the wrong context. <sighs> I hate you right now.
1: <laughs> okay, the next one. From Anne's Land, true crime. Hey, you gorgeous babes. Want to start off, as many do, by saying how much I love and appreciate the two of you and the community you've started, and the podcast itself. I explained in an earlier email that I'm a courier on a rural route. Sorry, Donna. So I have endless hours with nothing to do but my own mind overthinking everything to keep me company. It's so exhausting. Having you ladies chirping in my ear helps keep me focused on work and keeps all those nasty, toxic thoughts away. Yeah, courier on a rural route. That was really hard. Yeah. I mean, I got a red leather, yellow leather for that. (laughs) Oh, God. I recently heard on a couple of different episodes, you ladies talking about the show on Netflix and with an E. Well, hold on to your tits because I'm about to gush some hometown pride all over yous. I'm writing you from the picturesque province of Prince Edward Island on the east coast of Canada. The birthplace of Lucy Maud Montgomery, author of the Anne of Green Gables stories. Prince Edward Island is also the setting for the Anne stories. I got so excited listening to you two talk about Anne. I was like, oh my god, that's here. That's me. That's my home. Anne's stories have reached the hearts of people across the globe. Millions of people have read her stories or have seen the Anne of Green Gables musical, so I'm not here to retell her tale. Instead, I'm going to tell you about another young girl from Prince Edward Island that also reached international acclaim with books and plays and songs being written about her. This is the story of Mary Pickering Tuplin. Picture it. 1887 and 16 year old mary was attending a new year's eve party while at this party she met 19 year old william millman william millman that's almost like the same name just with like an m instead of a W. Whew. okay both of their families were farmers and they lived across the southwest river from each other the two hit it off right away and began a relationship Just like how a lot of these stories go, it wasn't too long before Mary realized that she was pregnant. Side note, I apologize in advance for all the dates, but it's important for a clear timeline. Skip ahead a few months to Sunday, June 26th. Mary met William near the river to let him know about the baby. At this time, Mary's younger brother had been gravely ill and passed away early the next morning. Monday, June 26, and was buried the following day on Tuesday, June 28. While the family attended his funeral, Mary had stayed home to watch her older sister's baby. Shortly after the family returned home, just before sun had set, Mary left the house without a word. That was the last time her family saw her alive, dressed in a light cotton dress, stockings, and boots. By Friday, July 1st, the word had gotten around that Mary was missing and people from the community joined the family in their search. The team spotted a white muslin handkerchief on the riverbank, which prompted them to drag the river. Mary's body was found on July 4th, weighted down by a large stone. She had been shot in the head twice with a thirty two caliber revolver. Her head was removed right there on the riverbank and sent to Charlottetown, the closest town that could examine the head thoroughly, and our provincial capital. Mary's body was buried next to her younger brothers only a week after his burial. She was buried at night with no service, no casket, without her family present, and without her head. William was suspected early on and was arrested July 7, 1887. His father had tried to provide an alibi but fainted while testifying. When he came to, he admitted that he and his wife had been at a church meeting at the time so couldn't verify his whereabouts that night. William was then sent to the county jail to await trial. While in custody, he made one escaped attempt by hitting a guard over the head with a bottle. He didn't get far and was apprehended quickly. Trial convened on January 24, 1888. One friend testified that William had borrowed an empty... 32 caliber revolver a week before the murder and had returned it with three unused shells and two spent casings. Another friend stated that William had tried to convince him to sign an affidavit saying that the two had been together that night. A young girl testified she had seen William crossing the river just before sunset in a small boat. One local man testified that the small boat was his and that an 80-pound stone that he kept at the bottom of the boat to use as an anchor was missing and identified it was the one Mary's body had been tied down with. A few people testified that a wagon carrying two men and a young lady was seen riding fast, that's what she said, near the river. There was also a stranger in dark clothing, but only one of the many people who saw this person identified him as being William. In the end, the testimony from two of his own family members turned out to be the most damning. His mother testified that she had returned home following a church meeting shortly after 10 p.m., William was not home, and it was a little while later that she saw him standing in the kitchen wearing dark clothing. William's younger sister also testified that while their parents were at the church meeting, he had told her he was going down to the river to bathe, which sounds very suspicious to me. It took the jury only five hours to find William guilty. The judge rejected the jury's recommendation to spare his life and sentenced him to be hanged saying that William has shown his young victim no mercy in killing her, saying you then hastily conveyed her to the river, and before even the cold pallid of death had completely enshrouded her body, you cast it attached to a heavy stone into what you thought the deepest part of the river, there where you felt assured no human eye could ever again behold it. On April 10th, in front of a limited audience of 50, a blindfolded William Millman was hanged and was declared dead after 10 minutes. This is not where the story ends. Are you wondering what happened to Mary's head? Well, it turns out that the coroner's office that her head was sent to kept it filed for many years. Eventually, the office became a pharmacy and I believe a restaurant at some point all along, the family of the coroner, who owned the building, kept Mary's head throughout the years, hoping one day to connect with a member of Mary's family. That day came more than 100 years later, when a distant relative made contact, wanting to give Mary a proper burial. With about 30 relatives gathered, Mary's head was reunited with her body, and she was finally laid to rest on April 21, 2016, 129 years after her murder. Once again, this story may not be over. There's a plot twist. The distant relative that organized Mary's burial has been researching the story and isn't certain that William was actually guilty. He won't name who he suspects until he has enough to prove his suspicion. I won't give you the relative's name for his own privacy, but I have one quote to share. It's not over yet. William's Hanging was the last here on PEI for the next 53 years, and when it was temporarily brought back one last time for a double hanging in 1941. And that's a story I'll stay for another time since this one has gotten quite lengthy. Take care, y'all. Shannon from Anne's Land, Prince Edward Island, Canada.
0: Wow. That reminds me of that story I did do, that red roof murder. Yes. Or red barn murder or whatever it was yeah it that did remind me of it but
1: i know i was like wait did you do this yeah but whoa but also what if he didn't do it that's the thing when you make stuff like um births and all like out of wedlock so taboo and blah blah blah, blah, people get pregnant and they die right because if it wouldn't have been such a big deal for her to be pregnant out of wedlock uh Oh, William Millman would not have killed her. Right, allegedly. Right. Wow, but yeah, I love Anne with an E. Ugh, and I loved
0: Anne of Green Gables.
1: It's so funny because we were just talking about that the other day. Remember? Because mm-hmm. I, said, I said to Colby and Donna, I was like, do you remember when I watched Anne with an E and I was taking Wellbutrin and it completely destroyed me because I didn't put two and two together that I was so emotional from the Wellbutrin and Colby <laughs> yeah. was like, I remember. <laughs> Vividly. Yes. Oh, God, we all do. <sighs> good times. Good times.
0: But Anne with an E, I cried a lot, and, like, I didn't have that reaction to Wolbutrin. Woo! <laughs> I did. But I did cry a lot at it. Okay, the next one. Hey, ladies, long-time listener, first-time writer. I just listened to several sinister sightings to figure out how to start this email, and that's what I came up with. <laughs> Anyways, you ladies make my work days better, and I feel like I'm listening to my best friends talk when I hear the episodes. To start off, I'm not sensitive to paranormal, thank you sweet baby Jesus, but I have several people in my family who are. The story I want to tell today revolves around my parents' house, which I lived in for seven years before leaving for college. My mom bought the house I'm referring to when I was 11 years old. Six years later, she married my stepdad, Wayne, who became my dad for all intents and purposes. During the seven-ish years I lived there, I always felt safe and didn't experience anything paranormal. My parents and sister, however, had several things happen there over the years that make me not want to be in that house alone after dark. So here we go. My sister was a nurse, now a nurse practitioner, way to go, Crystal, And worked the night shift after my niece was born. When Crystal would get off work, she would bring my niece to my parents' house so they could watch her while she slept. One Saturday, my sister was napping in her old bedroom and, in her sleepy state, heard the bedroom door open. She didn't think anything of it but wondered why anyone would come in there knowing that she was trying to rest. A couple of hours later, she gets out of bed and no one's in the house. She walks out to the front yard where my mom, stepdad, and brother in law. All had been washing cars, piddling in the garage, While my niece played, she asked who the person was that opened the door and woke her up. All of them said they hadn't been in the house at all since she had gotten there. My sister made them all swear that no one came in and they all did. Fast forward a few years and my parents and sister still hear random noises in the small hall leading to my parents' bedroom in addition to hearing footsteps in the other parts of the house where no one is. Come to find out, that isn't all there is to it and my mom and stepdad have seen this ghost. They held the scarier stories from me because they know I'm terrified. One night, my stepdad was playing solitaire in our computer room back in the day when each family had one computer that the whole house shared and he felt the hair on the back of his neck stand up. He knew someone or something was in that room with him, but that my mom had been asleep for a long time, so it couldn't be her. He said at that point, he refused to look into the computer screen in fear of seeing something behind him. He just hopped up and walked out of the room, not even shutting down solitaire for the night. On several other occasions, my stepdad saw the ghost, which at this point they deemed was a man. He saw him in the reflection of the TV. His recliner directly faced the TV, and behind his recliner was the huge kitchen window, which let in a ton of light. There was more than one time that he saw the ghost man standing behind him when he turned the TV off. One night last year during the Texas Snowmageddon, my grandma was over at the house having dinner with my mom and Uncle Ted. My uncle is 58 and nonverbal, so my parents took care of him for the better part of the last 20 years. While having dinner, my uncle looked to the chair on his right and nodded at whoever or whatever was sitting there. My mom looked at Ted and then he nodded at her as if to say, You see him too? My grandma catches the tail end of this exchange and asks what's going on. Very nonchalantly, my mom says, The ghost is sitting in that chair right there. My mom tells me all the time that the ghost doesn't scare her because he's never caused them any harm. Just last week, she told me that she had been woken up several times by her blanket being tugged on when there's no one in the house with her. That is effing terrifying, but she just brushes it off. In November of 2019, my stepdad Wayne passed away after a very short battle with cancer. Although we knew he had cancer, his death was unexpected and almost broke our family. When I said Wayne was my dad for all intents and purposes, I meant it. He was quite honestly the most humble man I have ever met and loved my sister and I like we were his own. Our kids were his only grandkids, and he was the best pawpaw ever. I could go on and on about how amazing he was, but this email is pretty long, and I know y'all have other stories to read. Just know that we still refer to him as the very best when we talk about him in any setting. As I've said before, I'm not sensitive to paranormal things, but my sister and I both have had a visit from Wayne in our dreams, which felt all too real to just be a dream. About a month after he passed, I had a dream about him. In my dream, we were talking and I told him how much I missed him. He said that he was doing okay not to worry about him and then he wrapped me in his arms for a big hug. Wayne wasn't a big man, but he liked his beer and had the belly to match. When I hugged him in my dream, I could feel that belly and it was exactly like the real life hug. I woke up bawling and knew that he just had found a way to communicate with me. About a year later, my sister had a similar dream about him where he told her he was okay and not to worry about him. She was telling my mom about it the next day, and my mom burst into tears. She told my sister that the night before, she had prayed that Wayne would send her a signal that he was okay and at peace. He found a way to tell her, but used my sister as a vehicle in which to convey the message. Those are all of my paranormal experiences I have to share for now. I'll try to get my BFF to tell me all the details about her parents' house, which was a site of a murder-suicide. That could be my next email. Love you, ladies, and am so happy that you created this podcast and community for all of us to enjoy. Creep it real, Stacy C. from Texas. P.S. Donna, I went to the College of the University of North Texas. It's very close to Goatman Bridge, which you did a story on. I never heard about it until you did the story, and the next week my mom and sister told me they saw it. They were on their way to a football game and noticed it. Both said they couldn't stop looking at it like it was calling to them. Thank God my sister is always late, so they didn't have time to stop and check it out. PSS, Carrie, don't worry about running out of stories. I'm writing this in mid-September 2021, and y'all are just now to December 2020. I think you have enough content for a while. (laughs) you don't know me (laughs) I hope I would be like your mom and like nonchalant about stuff but I don't think I would
1: be oh I know I wouldn't be That's sweet he came back to visit. I don't, I like, I wonder if I'm ever going to get that with my dad.
0: I think so. I mean, I've had it with my mom and Lori, but I haven't had it with my dad yet.
1: Like, my dad has been in a dream where, like, we're doing something at my mom's house and he's sitting in his chair, but I don't think that's like a, like, I think I'm just dreaming about.
0: Like a memory. Kind yeah. Of thing.
1: Like, not like a, he's like sitting in his chair, like, I'm okay. You know, like, I yeah. think it's just, that's where he's supposed to be in those family situations.
0: Yeah. Also, your sister sounds exactly like me because I'm always running late. And I'm the person who's like, can y'all go faster? I'm running late back here in the car while I'm driving.
1: All right, the next one is called Sleep Paralysis and a Few Other Stories. Hello, ladies. First, I was so excited to hear my story last week. Yay! So I'm going to add more stories. One is sleep paralysis, I think. Story one. So 15 years ago, I bought a vacation home. I'd been looking for some time and wanted something on the water. I'd been looking at this particular house for a while, but it was on a smaller body of water than I wanted. One day, I looked at the house online again, and it had dropped 30000 in price. Hell, I knew it was meant to be. I went over with some friends to scope it out and thought it was pretty cute. The owner came out as I was snooping around the yard and invited us in. So, of course, we went. After that visit, I called the realtor and said, I want it. Here's what I want to pay. Listed what I wanted to keep within the home. And guess what? The owner accepted. I said, okay, I want to move in on X day. That was agreed to. However, she counted with a different day, which I said yes to because it was my birthday. I took it as it was meant to be. So I moved in, started making changes, etc. One night, I'm lying in bed, sleeping, and all of a sudden, I'm woken up and can't move. I see a man standing over me. One detail I forgot to tell you is that the owner was selling it because it was going to be her retirement home with her husband. He died unexpectedly and she didn't want to stay alone in the winters. I mean, it's Maine. Three houses on the street, so yeah, it could be tough. I'm not sure how I remembered this, but I remember that sometimes when you're making changes to a place, former owners who have passed away may come back. I don't know if I actually said this out loud or if I thought it, but I remember saying, I'm making changes for the better and thank you for the changes you made before I bought the house. After that, he went away and I fell back asleep. In the morning, I was a bit out of it, but decided that any changes I was going to make, I would let him know what I was doing and hoped he liked the changes. Since that time, I've never had an issue like that happen again. Though from time to time I see a shadow, I just think of it as he's checking out the changes I made. Story two. I think I wrote in the past that I was super close to my grandparents and was with them when they both passed. Like you guys, I'm an empath, which sometimes I just don't love it. And I feel things before they happen. I've started to see a Reiki master who helps me process and clear myself. It is amazing to me. The first time I went to her, she said, your mom passed? I said, no. She said, well, who's the lady and describes her? My grandmother. Anyway, we're chatting and I'm doing my intake information and this little device in her kitchen comes on. She says, that's weird. That shouldn't be on. Goes to the kitchen and tries to turn it off. Nope. She has to unplug it from the wall. Then I'm laying on the table and she's doing her thing. She says, your grandmother... She's funny. Is there a special bracelet you have of hers? Yep, there is. She describes it. She then says, Your grandmother says, Put it back on and watch out for the wolf and sheep's clothing. Which is a completely different story. Nonetheless, she says wear it. So I got home and did exactly as my grandmother said. The other thing the Reiki master said to me was, your grandmother likes electronics. She's always played with electronics for you. Yes, yes, yes. When I lived in my prior home, I had a wine core, high end, so no Walmart special on that. When I would travel or there was stuff going on with my grandfather, the stinking light would go on. When things settled down, the light would go off. I swear the people at Viking thought I was nuts. They sent service people out to check it out, and they were like, nope, you're all set. Okay, I digress. I have a phone charger that is the disc that lights up green when you put your phone on it to charge, and the green goes out. Well, the night before my first Reiki treatment, that dang thing lit up three times, all in the three o'clock hour. I did tell her this. She said, well, when that goes off, it is just your grandmother. Well, yep, she does it from time to time, but at least I know it's her. So she sent great messages to me through my Reiki master. She also told me that she's sending me tall, dark, handsome Prince Charming. I'm still waiting on that. Lots of other stories there. So my Reiki treatments have become healing, clearing, and yes, I get really cool messages too. Story three is a Reiki story. So of course my grandmother comes through, and then all of a sudden my grandfather starts giving messages to her. She asked me, who called you Dee?" That is who's here. Yep, my grandfather. I was his little Dee. He apologized to me. In the end, he was lonely, sad that my girl was gone, and plain old broke. So some days were rough. I must say, I had tears. He told her I was always his sunshine and that he was placing all sunflowers around me because to him, I was the brightness to him. He wanted to thank me for everything and is proud of me and all I am. Talk about healing. Okay, that's all for now. I'll write again soon, Danine.
0: Can your grandma send me someone?
1: I just want to go to your Reiki therapist.
0: That too.
1: I know, like Courtney Popino, they do like a uh, like a telehealth version. Yeah. Of, you know.
0: Yeah. I want to know what my aura is.
1: Me too. Unless it's bad, then I don't want to know.
0: <laughs> I want to know because I need to fix
1: it. Oh, that. <laughs> Yeah, that did, like, I think that it was, like, weird, the shadow experience, but I don't know that it was, like, shadow man. I think it was more like that dude, and it's just, like, frozen, not like, oh my god, I can't move anything, and this bad thing's coming towards me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Like, he just wanted to be like, what is going on? This is not what, like, this is not my house, but this is my house. And you had the wherewithal to be like, Hey, I'm making some changes, but it's, you know, for the good, this is my house, and thank you for everything you did.
1: But, uh, suck it up, buttercup, and move on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, okay, the next one. I think I'm hearing things. Am I crazy? Hey, scary ladies, it's Kaylee again from Virginia. I'm back with more scary experiences. This time I have two stories, so let's start with the first one. It's my sister's experience, but she granted me the okay to tell it. Let's get started. Hopefully you remember how my parents' house is haunted. Well, my sister Hannah, she has felt this presence for a while now. Every night around the same time, 2 a.m., there's this tall black man who looks at her through the crack of her bedroom door. She can't shut the door because her cat Max, a.k.a. MaxiPad. I find that hilarious. That's what they said on me. Didn't you used to call your cat Max that too? I don't know. Probably. Because all of my animals have 20,000 different nicknames. I'm pretty sure you did. (laughs) Anyways, I gave her sage and I told her what to do because I'd like to think I'm very spiritual. And if I have to put myself in a category, I'd land in witch. Then the next night she goes into the sunroom and she sneezes. Then all of a sudden she hears a man's voice say, bless you. Uh (laughs) She gets her water and fast walks and nopes the fuck out of there and texts me and tells me what happened. And usually the sage, at least... Dims the activity, but instead the fucking ghost speaks. We're still dealing with it, but we've not seen or heard from him in a couple of weeks. The next paranormal experience is my experience that has to deal with sleep paralysis. Okay, so some small information. I get sleep paralysis so much I can literally feel myself falling into it, like the heaviness of my body, and the next thing I know, I'm in the dream realm in my room and it's dark. Like my body can't move, but my dream self is up. Usually I know and I try to force myself back to sleep so my real self can get up, but sometimes I can't and I have to open the door and face whatever is supposed to come on and scare me. They get mad and jump at me and then I wake up. But this time I woke up and I saw myself, but like a blurry version because you can't see yourself in someone else's point of view. So I know the drill. I tell my other self, we have to go to sleep before whatever comes in here. But she, aka me, didn't want to. So I open the door and see it, the thing that's supposed to come and scare me, laying on my table. So I hurry up and close my eyes and beg myself to go to sleep. The other me finally gave in and I got myself out of it. Usually, I force myself with all my might to get my body going again until I can finally move and wake up. It never scares me anymore, but freaks me out knowing it's happening because I can't move and everywhere is tingly, but I can separate my body and get myself into this dream state and see what's supposed to get me in my coma-like state. It's super weird. Let me know what you guys think. Anyways, this is a long enough email. I'll save the rest for another time. I love you and your podcast. Remember, my beauties, don't get scared. Insert winky emoji.
1: That's some inception shit.
0: Right? Uh, That reminds me of an episode on evil. It's like the first, probably the first or the second episode of that show. And the woman, the therapist, she's experiencing sleep paralysis, But what she wants to know is like, is it real or because she sees like a demon. So she's like, is this real or am I dreaming? And so she writes on a poster board and puts it above her bed. And so if she can read it, like it wakes her up because you're not supposed to be able to like read something like that or something in your dream. I can't remember. It's I'm on season two. Okay. So, you know. But I don't know, that just reminded me like how you wake yourself up and or like make yourself go into more of a dream state so you can get out of your like trance.
1: That's how like she had to do it. So hey, whatever works for you. Meanwhile, I have to pee really bad in my sleep and can't wake myself up for that. So no way I'd be waking myself up to get away from a shadow person.
0: That is the worst when you're like, oh my God, like I wake up and I'm like, did I just pee? Because I need to pee so bad.
1: Like you can't find a toilet in the back, like in your dream or like uh have an accident in my dream. Yes.
0: Like I feel like I've peed in the toilet in my dream, mm-hmm. but I'm like, oh my God, did I just pee on myself? No, thank God. Let's go to the bathroom. Like I woke up in time, but oh my gosh.
1: You know what I've been doing a lot lately in my sleep that I've noticed? Like, I've been catching charlie horses, which is fucking terrible. Um, but I've noticed that I'm putting, like, my entire body in, like, extension. Like, I stiffen everything up, and I'm, like, arching my back in my sleep.
0: Ooh. And I'm
1: like, why Why am I doing that? But, like, for real, I'm like, I got to stop doing that because I'm legit getting charlie horses yeah. when I do it. So, what's going on? Why do I keep doing that?
0: Yeah. Probably stress and anxiety. Me? Stressed? Right? Never. Mm Mm-hmm. I, like, noticed that I was clenching my jaw the other night, and I was like, why are you doing this? Like, relax. Like, geez,
1: you're just going to bed. That's my favorite time of the day. (laughs) Okay, this one. Good morning, ladies. I'm sitting here listening to Sinister Sightings, episode 84, and just heard the story from another listener about her father-in-law being ill and seeing someone during that time. Well, I have a similar story. In August of 2011, my mother was admitted to the hospital because of complications with her COPD. Well, during that two-week stay, my father and I were told that we would have to make some difficult decisions involving end of life. You see, my mother had fought that disease in silence since about 1994, my junior year of high school. She always kept herself busy with bowling, crocheting, and just about everything a stay-at-home mom could do. Well, after speaking with the lung specialist, we were informed that my mom only had about 50% lung capacity and that we would more than likely have to put in a trach to help her breathe. But they couldn't guarantee she wouldn't be in the same situation in six months. That day, my father and I made the difficult decision to take her off the ventilator and allow nature to take over. Before we took her off the machines, we called my aunts and uncles in Texas. I live in Wichita, Kansas, to let them know and to give them time to make it here to be able to come see her one last time before she passed. That Friday, I was in the room with two of my best friends and my mom started acting very agitated. We noticed that she kept looking over my right shoulder at something that we couldn't see. We asked her if she was seeing something, and she nodded yes. So we gave her a notebook and told her to write down what she saw, and all that she could write was the letter M. Now, prior to my mom getting sick, my Uncle Marty, my great-uncle, my Uncle Mark, my dad's brother, and my Uncle Marshall, mom's brother, had all passed. I asked if it was each one of them, and she kept telling me no and getting more and more frustrated. So I ended up calling my aunts who were driving in to be with her, and my Aunt Sherry asked to be put on speakerphone so she could talk to her and asked her, Sissy, is it mama that you're seeing? It broke my heart to see my mom tear up and shake her head yes. My grandma Letha passed away in 1997. It was in that moment that it really hit me that I was getting ready to lose my mama. But instead of being a sad moment, it was more of a revealing moment knowing that my grandma was there to be with her. Over the next few days, as family made it in to say their final goodbyes, there were several other instances that mama was seeing people. In one instance, my uncle Chuck and his wife were in the room and she kept grabbing his hand and and kept looking at him with tears in her eyes, but just couldn't get it out what she was trying to tell him. It was when I was in the room by myself with her that I figured it out. I had leaned over her to give her a kiss and felt what felt like a child's hand tug at my dress. No one was in the room with me. I remembered earlier in the day that my cousin Brandon, my uncle Chuck's son, had passed away when he was seven. So I asked my mom if she was trying to tell Chuck that Brandon was there and she nodded her head yes. I told my aunt and uncle about it later and my aunt said they were wondering if that was what my mama was trying to tell them. Two days later, on August 28th, 2011, my mom passed away from complications with COPD. Even now, I look back on those last moments with her, and I'm so happy to know that my grandmother and my cousin Brandon were there with her in the end. Sorry if this is long and rambling. I love you ladies and the relationships you guys have.
0: So sorry for your loss. That's so freaking hard. And, um, my mama died from complications of COPD. COPD sucks.
1: It's like, okay, so I heard it described like this one time. It's like okay, if you stood it if you stood up and you ran in place for like a minute and then you took a straw and you tried to breathe out of that straw, that's what it's like having COPD.
0: Yeah, I you have said that before and I really felt bad when I had my uh saddle PE, that pulmonary embolism, because I never understood Like, my mom struggling that much, you know, because sometimes, like, I don't know. My mom was my mom, and so she was a fucking warrior. She just did it because she had to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, yeah, well, you just did all of this. Like, you can do it. It's fine. Like, just come to this place with me, you know? But when I literally could not breathe, like, just getting up, and it, like, made me pass out and stuff. And, like, just walking one step was so hard i was like oh my god that woman was so fucking tough Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: holy shit and it just i felt so bad sometimes like oh my god i didn't understand
1: the only way i can kind of like wrap my brain around that like how people with those chronic illnesses do it is that yours was a sudden onset you had a pulmonary embolism that made it hard for you to breathe whereas for her, it was a slow burn. Like it yeah. was a slowly getting more and more short of breath. So you're able to live it. Just like someone who is overweight. You know, if you're 400 pounds, you can walk around every day holding 400 pounds. If you take someone that's 150 pounds and you put an extra 250 pounds on them, if that maths, maths. <laughs> They they aren't going to be able to do it. And they're yeah. like, how do you carry this weight around? Well, because I didn't just wake up one day and weigh this. I slowly got this weight. So I was able to take it more. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes sense. So it's like while she had, she was that short of breath. And while she, you know, it wasn't like, don't beat yourself up.
0: Yeah. The other day I was breathing like her. Like she would, I don't know. She would just do this like blow out of her mouth thing. But it didn't clear her lungs like it needed to because her problem was she couldn't clear out the oxygen to make room for more and so it just like kept there and so she would get short of breath that's how I should describe it yeah okay but I was doing something and she like would just go like out of her mouth and I did that for something I looked over at, at Marla, and I was like why am I breathing like that like I was just doing it And I don't know, I I don't know what I was watching, if it reminded me of her or something, but then it was like, okay, and let's stop that and just stopped. It wasn't like, oh, I was out of breath and I was trying to do something like it was just that. I don't know what it was, but, but I wholeheartedly believe that they see someone or they, I wholeheartedly believe that people at the end of their life can see family members or, think they do so i don't know if it's just them not self-medicating but like self-comforting like they're hallucinating but it's their body's way of like helping them be okay with what's going on or if they really can see that person
1: there because it they are about to pass on so before my dad died this was when he was like still really sick obviously and we were trying to figure out Because the medicine he was on for his fungal infection, like, made him confused. And it was just so toxic that, like, he would slur his speech and all that. And we thought that he might have had a stroke. So, they took him down to MRI. And while he, like, he was gone forever. Like, he was gone for, like, over an hour for this MRI. And um, when he came back... He said that something happened while he was down there and that, like, all these doctors and nurses were, like, surrounding him, like, working on him. Like, almost like he coded or something and had yeah. all these nurses and doctors around him, like, working on him. And um, he was, like, adamant that it happened. And mom asks the nurse, like, what happened when he was down there? Like, why, you know, like, did he, like, what happened? And they were like, what are what you talking about? But let me look in the chart. And then, but they're like, we don't see anything. So when the doctors made rounds the next day, mom asked, like, what'd y'all see? Like, what happened? And they're like, we can't really find anything that happened. And I told mom, I was like, well, I mean, that could have been, I mean, I don't know if you believe in angels or whatever. But I was like, that really could have been, something really could have been wrong with them. And that was people... Like, angels or whatever, like, surrounding him to keep him alive yeah. in that moment. Because, you know, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I tell myself about what happened in MRI. Because he was adamant that something happened and that, those, you know, he was surrounded by people. Yeah. But, like, it wasn't his time. Yeah. So, it's like, let's get you better because it's not your time yet.
0: Yeah. All right. The last one Hey ladies, I just discovered your podcast and I absolutely love it. I have an hour drive to and from work, so y'all keep me company. I have so many paranormal stories I could share with y'all, but I have two stories that I want to share. The first one happened when I was little, about seven maybe. My family and I were visiting my great-grandmother at her house, and she has an older house that makes a complete circle. So you can walk in the front door, turn to the left, and walk through the bedroom, then another bedroom, then the family room, then the kitchen, and back to the front room. We were in the living room, and for whatever reason, I was walking through the house, and when I got to the front room, there was a giant man standing in the front room wearing a black suit. I couldn't see his face. I stared at the man for a few minutes and turned around and calmly walked back to the living room. I then asked my grandmother if her dead husband was tall and would wear a suit, and she replied no. I then asked the same question about her dead son, and her reply was the same. She then asked me why I was asking the questions. I told her there was a tall man standing in the front room wearing a black suit. My dad then jumped up and took off running, making a complete circle and not finding anyone. My next story, I'm 31 and pregnant with my second child and a couple of weeks away from my due date. My grandparents' house was about one block from where I worked. My grandfather still lived there and my grandmother was in the nursing home about two blocks from work. Normally on lunch, I would take turns visiting them. I left work early one day for my OB checkup and drove to my grandfather's house. I felt the need to stop by, but I saw him standing on the deck waving at me. Since I saw him, I didn't worry about stopping. Fast forward a few hours, I'm at home, and my mom calls asking to speak with my husband. He then handed me the phone saying he couldn't understand what my mom was saying. My mom then told me that they found my grandfather dead in his house, and he had been dead for a couple of days. (gasps) I told her that's not possible because I had just saw him on the deck that afternoon, and he was waving at me. I told her I had a nagging feeling to stop by there, but didn't. She then said that was his way of protecting me, and he didn't want me to be the one to find his body. It seriously blew my mind, and I kept telling her he was on the porch. There was no way he had been dead for three days. I'll send more stories eventually. Thank y'all for being awesome and keeping me company. Kim from Alabama. Wow, that's like chill bumps.
1: I mean, I gasped. (laughs) We heard. (laughs) But seriously,
0: I believe that your mom's telling the truth because he didn't want you to find him and like go into labor yeah so like he really did like for sure protect you, you. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> but like saying the same thing but like in different. a different way of course the story of our loves.
0: <laughs> well we can't wait for all the stories that y'all have promised because we want to hear them all
1: Y'all got some good ones. Y'all made me gasp. You made me want to tear up. <laughs> I didn't. I'm not on the well buttered anymore. <laughs> oh, gosh. Although this weekend, I forgot to take my medicine before I went to work. And ooh, was I a royal sour patch kid. Oh, imagine that. I mean, from bawling my eyes out. Well, first, I start out real, real mean. And then I feel real, real bad about it. And I cry.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: So, y'all keep these stories coming so we can go through the emotional roller coaster with y'all. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.